This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith Weekly Devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link in this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in this episode description. Bishop, I'm grateful for your devotional this week. You titled it Unmattered. And you basically were talking about the statement, all lives matter in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. And the whole premise of your devotional is talking about how Jesus constantly mattered people. Yet uh, what we've done as a society, probably due to sin, not probably, but absolutely due to sin, is constantly unmatter people especially in the United States and especially people of color, LGBT, any marginalized folks whatsoever. My question for you is this, is, is it unpatriotic to point out when the country misses the mark on things? Thanks, Melissa. I, I, um, I obviously uh, don't think that it's unpatriotic. In fact, as, as far as I can tell, one of the most patriotic acts that, that any of us can do is to love the country enough uh, to talk about the gaps uh, and to begin to take up action uh, to close those gaps. Uh, we live under a constitution, and that constitution uh, talks about uh, our equality. Um, I mean, there are gaps even in, in our founding documents, but uh, it talks about equality and, and this is aspirational. This is, this is our foundation. And at the same time, it's aspirational. And so I, I, I don't understand a patriotism that does not uh, seek to perfect the union. Uh, in fact, th- that, uh, those are the words uh, to make it a more perfect union. And, and so I don't know how we make it a more perfect union without the judicial peace, without the legislative peace, without the right to assembly, the right to protest, the right to lobby. I, I don't know how we do that. It, it, it makes perfect sense to me that if we have a, a, a demonstrable gap, uh, a, a blind spot, a bias in our democracy, then it seems to me that that's why we vote. It seems to me that's why we marshal our best energies to make to make things uh, better and, and different. And we investigate our laws and make sure that they're expansive enough to cover all our citizens. So yeah, it makes, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's patriotic in the very best sense of that word. Hmm. Well, we are mourning the death of Rayshard Brooks this week. Um, he was the man who died in the parking lot of the Wendy's uh, down in Atlanta. And and so now we're we as a society are able to kind of watch watch all of this unha- you know this happening and and so it's it's almost offensive to some many and many many more. It's growing that people get offended when people respond to Black Lives Matter with the statement, all lives matter, because I think you made a very good case in your devotion that, of course, all lives matter. We also talked about this last week in in the podcast. Uh, I'm curious about the church's role. So let's talk about the church's role in society. Thoughts on that? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of coined this phrase, uh, unmattering, because I, I think this is the deficiency in all lives matter as a response to Black Lives Matter, right? I mean, what, what all lives matter uh, doesn't seem to want to acknowledge or is sort of uh, 
tragically sort of forgetful or just dishonest is about how we have systematically unmattered people. Let's say uh, in, in the case of African-Americans, let's say for 401 years, um, systematic unmattering, systematic legal, academic, economic, theological, ecclesiastical um, effort uh, taken up, uh, policies written, practices developed uh, to unmatter people, to affirm privilege for some and to affirm um, uh, other people being diminished. And so the church is uh, an especially poignant and tragic example of that. We who are the stewards of the radical nature of Jesus's story in the world have fallen, uh, have fallen, uh, has succumbed to racism and white supremacy. We, we've, we've, we, we look at the Bible in uh, inherently racist ways. We, we teach an inherently white gospel. We portray Jesus in what I like to say in, in uh, a, not a geographically correct way. I mean, uh, the long time ago, a comedian, uh, a Red Fox, used to say, how is it that Jesus could walk around the desert for 33 years without a baseball cap? And still be Lily White. I mean, I mean, we we have we have made Jesus in our own image. Um, some of the first slave ships to leave the west coast of Africa were called the Good Ship Jesus. Um, we have uh, developed a grotesque theology that uh, somehow in the Bible, brown people are supposed to serve lighter skinned people, and somehow God made it that way and enjoys it that way. And somehow that, that when God looked at Adam and Eve and said, very good, somehow a, another subspecies was developed some other place in, in that creation story. And God said, almost good to them folks. So, I mean, it, it is the, the church and the church, has, uh, the church has been a part of this. I mean, we have, we have not behaved like all lives matter when it comes to, uh, to women. We have not behaved like all lives matter when it comes to gay and lesbian people. And we certainly haven't become, uh, we haven't lived like all lives matter um, uh, when it comes to uh, black and brown people. I mean, I, uh, our diocese is 114 years old. I'm the first African-American and that just happened in 2012. I mean, are, is, is it really our argument that no qualified candidates uh, uh, ever uh, were, were present up until 2012 uh, at, at the time of my election? And so I think what we have to do if we're going to really progress and to be honest and to really commit ourselves to fidelity and justice is to, without condemning ourselves, acknowledge our missteps. I mean, that's, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is not uh, salivating over opportunities to condemn people. But Jesus is also very clear that honesty and candor and confession is a, is a, is a step on the way to spiritual wholeness. Right. I mean, and so, you know, we refuse the cover up. I mean, if all lives matter, I mean, it's well intentioned. Don't get me wrong. I think when people are saying that it's well intentioned and I think it's a holy truth. Right. I mean, I pledge my life to that work that all lives, in fact, matter. But it's not demonstrably true right now. The data, there's an ocean of data that points to the fact that it's not true. I mean, just yesterday, uh, the Supreme Court rendered a uh, rendered a decision uh, saying that now uh, gay and uh, lesbian and transgender people. Uh, have the right to file suit against people who discriminate against them by being what and who they are. So, I mean, it, you know, the very fact that we still have to have this ki these kinds of rulings and court cases and legal actions demonstrate that we do not, in fact, live like all lives matter. 
And so it's well-intentioned, yes. Uh, it's aspirational at best right now. Um, but it's something to be worked towards, right? So the church, is, the church has been part and parcel of this. I was saying to someone earlier today that uh, when we traveled to Ghana, uh, Cape Coast, West Africa, and we went to the slave castles there, the Anglican slave castles there in their last iteration, that uh, we noticed that the chapel where we say, where people said the mass, it, 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 very similar to the mass we say now, was exactly over the slave dungeons. Where So there's misery uh, below, uh, people scratching the wall, uh, trying to get free uh, and to throw off shackles. And just above it, we're saying exactly the same liturgy. So it was all, did all lives matter that, that day? Uh, and for that you know, period of hundreds of years. So no, we know that. And did the female lives matter who were sort of just raped and, uh, and just prioritized because they could breed other slaves? So we, we know that. And so what I hope is we just can have a little bit more honesty without shame and, uh, and guilt. What, what, shame and guilt is not the point here, right? Shame and guilt is not the point. The point is not shame or guilt. The point is honesty about where we, where we are and where we have been and what we have built so that we we can become, uh, we can dismantle it together. I think that's that's what walking alongside of Jesus demands. Justice, uh, I think, truth and fidelity to Jesus demand that we inventory our what we've built together, uh, and that we entertain even the most unflattering interpretations of what we've built, and then we seek to make it more perfect. And more perfect uh, is in the, the model and the mode that Jesus offered us to build things in, which is radical neighborliness, a radical equity, radical justice. Well, with that, we'll be right back with four people after a short break. If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome back to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. So Bishop, before we took our break, we were talking about, you were talking about honesty, being honest and telling the truth, but I can't help but wonder if our society, and not just our society, but our very church, is is tending toward a pathology. Almost like we don't know the truth anymore because we've been telling this lie for so long. it's difficult for some people to tell the truth. And so I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of take us through some of the history, some of the ugliness that our very church, the Episcopal church, uh, might have inadvertently or unintentionally, or let's be real, intentionally in the beginning. And then we've forgotten the story. We've forgotten our history that has been so deeply kind of buried, but is still festering because we know that if you don't name conflict, that it's just it doesn't go anywhere. So I'm curious if you can just kind of share with our listeners some of the ugliness that our church has partaked in. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's increasingly well documented now. I mean, I think that the, the, the veil in some quarters has been thrown off. And so we, we're looking at our seminaries right now, Virginia Seminary uh, and, uh, and uh, Swanee School of Theology and, and their um, sort of brave acknowledgement um, that uh, the, the very the very buildings that uh, that they uh, s- continue to occupy uh, were built by s- stolen labor and stolen persons and stolen personhood, 
Um, we're looking at some of our dioceses, not, not nearly enough, but a few of the ones who are brave, the most brave so far, have acknowledged that uh, the Diocese of New York comes to mind. Um, uh, uh, in the Diocese of Atlanta, we, we've, we've been inviting people to, to take a look at the lynchings that have happened in, in, our, in our midst and where the, where the church and the diocese and the, and the bishops have been quiet uh, about about those things, and so so we're we're just we're to- we have totally colluded um, in things done and left undone. Um, uh, we we have we have totally embraced this notion that uh, th- that these people were made by God to serve us, and that they that they have no inherent rights, worth, value, or dignity except as being utilities, uh, except as as their utilitarian value, and so. So there are so many examples. I mean, you know, we know that so many of uh, of the founders and the framers were Anglicans, and we know that um, you know the Three Fifths Compromise defined an unmattered black people for political expediency. Um, we we know that uh, even though Lincoln uh, uh, signed the Emancipation Proclamation, he also paid uh, three hundred dollars uh, uh, per freed slave. Uh, to former slaveholders, so they they were the first group to get reparations, and yet we struggled to even make our mouth to say reparations. Uh, you know when that conversation comes up, so so there has been a profound and well established double standard, and so I, I guess what I said in the in the meditation was is that what it's going to take really for us to 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 face who we have been is, is really two pieces of very difficult work. And one is we're going to have to sort of sum it up, uh, I think by virtue of our faith, a supernatural amount of maturity uh, to, to, to look at what we have built and how we built it, uh, squared up in the face. We're going to have to do it. And then number two, we're going to have to, to do what is really difficult, which is to be able to say that while we have had this uh, birth defect uh, since the birth of the Republic, yet we are not, uh, uh, we are not um, condemned. We are not totally uh, done, done under. We are not, uh, we have, we still have worth and even our Republic has dignity and value. Uh, But if, if we're using the covenant uh, in the Bible with God, then it says, if you will be my people, uh, you will do these things. And so I, I think we are yet again at an intersection where we get to choose who we want to be. We get to choose the nobility of, of, of what it means to be believers and seekers of justice, or we choose to cower uh, and to die a spiritual death because we did not act and we did not speak at a critical moment in the life of our country. Um, the church is supposed to be that place where people find that supernatural maturity, that supernatural courage. The church is supposed to be that place that encourages us to be bigger than ourselves and bigger than our cliques and to be bigger than our clans and our, our tribal affiliations. And so what worries me in all of this is that perhaps what we are uh, reaping the benefit of right now, the sad benefit of right now, is that we've preached uh, a gospel that has been way too small. Uh, we've not preached a radical gospel. We've not preached Jesus's gospel. We've we've preached a gospel that keeps us safe. We've 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 made uh, Jesus a milk cow and not a raging bull. Uh, we've we've forgot about the Jesus who was in, indignant about injustice. 
uh, and selfishness. And, and we've, we've, we've sailed our ship far too close to the shore. Um, and I, I think that, um, and so there's a lot of deferred maintenance in the church around uh, uh, maturity, spiritual maturity. Um, and I think what, what's been passed off in the church too much as good religion is a civil religion that makes Jesus uh, maybe third or fourth on the list. Um, when, when we, we're talking a lot about allying with one another. And I think the key to allyship is for us first to ally with Jesus. When I ally with Jesus, it's easy for me to partner with women uh, in wage disparity. When I partner with Jesus, when I ally with Jesus, it's, it's easy for me to extend compassion to trans people, gay and lesbian people, or poor people, people in Appalachia who have been taken for a ride economically. It's easy for me to partner with people if I partner with Jesus who are being shot in the street disproportionately. I mean, do we really think that if Rayshard Brooks was a white man of similar age, after having a civil conversation with two officers, that he would be shot in the back minutes later? I mean, do we really think, and I'd love to see more of those videos. I mean, but we don't see uh, scarcely any of those videos. And so um, one wonders, uh, one wonders uh, how many bodies do we need to see piled up before we're willing to acknowledge uh, that there's a problem. The church has found, uh, uh, the church is, is, is considered to have laryngitis uh, too often on these issues for fear of alienating uh, uh, parishioners. And I think it's just the opposite. I think that we've filled our ranks with people who have not decided to live for Jesus and who have decided to be a part of a polite social club uh, with a cracker and a sip of juice every Sunday. I think Jesus calls us to be much more radical in the case of neighborliness. And that's not a white thing, and that's not a black thing. That's a Jesus thing. And so I think that these uh, the social uh, unrest right now is giving us an opportunity to investigate our commitment to Jesus first and foremost. And when we inventory that, when we interrogate that, then I think uh, we find ourselves beside the least, the lost, the left behind, the disregarded, and the unmattered. Oh my goodness. So many, so many things are coming to mind right now. And <laughs> I, 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 I can't help but get angry listening to everything that you just said. I'm not angry at you because I'm thinking right on. Absolutely. Amen. Yet then I think of people who make the news like Louis Giglio, a very popular uh, uh, mega church pastor and producer of contemporary music and pretty well, well-respected guy in the non-denominational and Southern Baptist worlds. And, and he re most recently when talking about white privilege suggested that instead of white privilege, we call it white blessing. And I'm trying to reconcile that and say, how the heck can any person who has been keeping track of what's going on in our country, even utter those words. And, and I, then I go back to your devotional and I said, of course, because it's systemic People don't know, or they've been telling these lies, and it just makes me angry. So, Bishop, why in the first place do you think what we're talking about is controversial at all? Well, I, I think I think it's. Um, I mean, let us. It is hard to look in the mirror, right? It's hard to look in the mirror, and I think that that um, I think even some of my white brothers and sisters don't realize how they have been formed in our culture. 
right? And so some some weeks ago, um, we we did a teaching series on on reality. And so, you know, what Jesus invites us to do, what Scripture invites us to do, is to to look at the world through God's eyes, and that gives us a best sense of reality. Uh, if we don't do that, what we choose is ideology, and, and there's a lots of enth- enthralling, self-serving ideologies out there. And so, you know, one of the ideologies out there is is that, um, you know, we we always commit to smallness, separation, or superiority. That's that's sort of that's evidence of the human condition, right? And so the human condition is sin. And, you know, as I said in the meditation, you know, what, what drives us as human beings is sin, which is our, our uh, temptation to put ourselves at the center of the universe, right? It's, it's our temptation to unmatter God, to unmatter neighbor, and to unmatter even the planet. And so when we do that and when we fortify that with systems, uh, then, then we get what we get, and the church is not an exception. So, how is it? And I don't know this gentleman. And I, I don't want to say anything negative about this gentleman, but how, how do we get to a place where we read the gospel and we read sixty-six books of the Bible, and and we we see that we want to call privilege that has been uh, that has been won by rape and theft uh, and cheating? Uh, how do we call that blessing? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I do, I do want to say though, I think that for, for people who come to the realization that they have been prioritized in a society, uh, first and foremost, uh, by virtue of their skin color, I think there's an opportunity here right now in our society, in our church and in the world. And that is to turn around and to use, um, that privilege um, that prioritization uh, for the common good. I, I think that that is what is important to say. I think that uh, we don't want people to uh, default to guilt or shame uh, or self-flagellation. That, that doesn't create any good in the world. What we want people to do is if you find that you're in a situation where you know that you have privilege, then use it. Use it for the common good. I mean, again and again, there are stories in Scripture where Jesus invites people to new behaviors. He invites them to use the resources that they have to change the world. And I think that is still the call for us. And so for me, you know, guilt, shame, obligation, uh, and even uh, sort of, uh, you know, a, a nondescript and over, overwhelming rage is not constructive. I'm interested in what is constructive. And so what is constructive is, is that we build a system, a world, a police uh, department um, of policing practices, uh, which uh, bear the marks of our strive uh, towards justice. That ha- I mean, we've waited too long now. And so what's exciting about this moment with all its tragedy is that we may be able to turn this blood spilled unnecessarily into something good for your children and for my children. Hmm. I love that. I, you had the theme of building and the thought that came to my mind is that sometimes, not not sometimes, but most of the time, we have to deconstruct before we reconstruct. And so that I think is the hard work that we all need to start doing right now if we haven't already started. So thank you for that. Bishop, just one final question. Do you talk about this as an African American or as a bishop? That's a great question, uh, and I know that some people are wondering about that. I talk about it as both. 
right? I, 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 I am, I am who I am and I'm, I'm, I celebrate who I am. People might be interested to know that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, one third African, one third Irish and one third uh, German. Uh, you know, we've been able to d- discover this through the, through the miracles of, uh, of genetic testing now. And so, you know, my, my uh, Irish relatives come from County Mayo uh, in Western Ireland. My African relatives come from West Africa. And my uh, uh, German relatives uh, most recently come from, uh, are part of the Pennsylvania Dutch. So I am African-American, but I'm also many other things. Uh, and so I talk about this, I, I think, first and foremost, uh, because of, of this gospel that's sort of taken a hold of me. Uh, and, 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 and in many ways, I, I feel like to be immersed in, in scripture and then to read the newspaper, you, you have to build the bridge between those two things. And so if, if my, my heritage helps people to, to, to see better or more clearly why this is visceral and why this is important, then that's great. But I celebrate both sides. I, I relish the opportunity to be bishop and to invite people into serious spiritual formation around our identity, around the words we pray on Sunday, but sometimes are afraid to implement on Monday. So what, what, is, what is at the cusp for me is Christian maturity. I mean, what drives me crazy more than anything is our ability, my own as well, right? But our ability to say these words, to drink a, a, a river of communion wine, to eat a barn full of communion bread, to say all these well-intentioned words, all these holy words, and then somehow uh, limit them as soon as we hit the parking lot, right? And so that, that is our human tendency. And so I have to talk about these things because it would be spiritual malpractice and uh, forsaking of the vows I took in front of God and everybody else uh, as bishop to not talk about them. I, 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 it, it scares me that there's as much silence about these issues as there is. And so I feel like part of the uniqueness and the nobility of being baptized is to not uh, collude with these behaviors uh, by silence. What, 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 what the, the system, what injustice needs from good people is silence. It always has, and it, and it always will. But when we break that chain, we create possibility. Well, thank you for your, your example, your witness, your ministry, and your leadership. I'm grateful for that. Bishop, any final thoughts before, before we, wrap, we wrap? One of my, uh, in the meditation, one of my favorite uh, uh, Bible verses is, is at the center of it, uh, and it's, it's, um, it's Hebrews 12, and it says, uh, I only use a small piece in the meditation, but uh, the, the couple of verses that really help me uh, remember what the work is uh, are these. Therefore, it's Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that ensnares us so easily, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so as we think about all of this, we must remember, have to remember that if we are Christians, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, a brown man lynched outside the city walls in front of his mother. 
And so however we square ourselves with the present issues of the day, we have to square it first with him. Well, thank you all for listening to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.